rope it up room traveling across the country uh, to visit with the great Taku Hirano. Taku, welcome. How are you? I'm well. Thank you, Lewis. Where are you? I'm in Los Angeles. I um, actually mid pandemic, I moved from New York City uh, back to L.A. I've, I've been living in New York for about 11 years and um, yeah, moved back uh, to L.A. and got a little more uh, space and sunshine and sanity, uh, especially uh, well, I moved last summer. So I've been here for just over a year now. So so by then we have been in lockdown for over four months and you know the, mm. the writing was on the wall that last fall was not going to let up any so my yeah. wife and i made the made the move uh out west i lived in la prior to that so that's why i say back to la Got even it. though i lived in new york for over a decade yep you're i miss la you're one of the last people that i actually saw in person before all this craziness that's uh, that's right we had a beer rayos and it was it was um downtown la and it was right when did we find it was it when kobe bryant yeah, it was died? the day no. before, yeah it was the day before kobe passed or, before. or maybe two days yeah, before right. yeah. yeah 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 that's right um yeah it's all it's almost like a if you think back on it it's like a dream of like being a child before before all the complications of the world just dumped on you you know i just have fond it's, memories it seems like yeah it's like not long ago but so long ago right exactly exactly <laughs> So I, you know, I'm reading through your bio, and uh, I just made the comment, and I'll make it again for the record. Um, it would be easier for Taku Hirano to list the people that he hasn't played with. I think it would shorten <laughs> his bio. You've you've played with, I mean, what what a story! Uh, and I want to start uh, at the beginning. Uh, if you could give me a sense of what it was like for you growing up, what your you know first first interaction with music and also about the, you know, your parents and the community around that. I'd like to get a sense of that. Uh, well, first I was born in Osaka, Japan. My father's business was in the textiles trade and that's what moved our family to California. So I moved to the States when I was three months old. Oh, wow. so I technically I've never really lived in Japan, even though I'm a Japanese national. And um, I grew up in central California in Fresno, uh, which was, still is kind of the boonies definitely was in the seventies. Uh, and it was all because my father was in the cotton trade. Um, Interesting. so no musical background with my family per se. Um, my, I have an older brother, three years, my senior who, um, was actually a very accomplished clarinetist and, uh, all the way to like getting ready to go to Juilliard studying with, you know, with, with master clarinetists and whatnot. And so uh, he's three years ahead of me. And I know from about the age of four was my first recollection of wanting to play some kind of drum. Mm -hmm. And um, I, uh, I must have told my mom I wanted to start playing music fairly early on because her, her reaction was, whatever you want to play, take two years at least to piano first. And so I started piano at age seven so I could start percussion at age nine. So, and by then I was that age nine, I was entering the fifth grade and public school in California, you would start in the school band in fourth grade. So I was starting a year late and I was like, even then at nine years old, I was like, is it worth it? I'm like going to be a year behind everybody else. Should I even try? You know, wow. <laughs> so but that motivated did, but... you, right? 
I mean, yeah, yeah definitely. You, you were chasing it. Do, do you value that advice that your mother gave you about the piano? Has that, has that come Oh, out? totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, even like sitting in my dorm room at, at Berkeley, like having to do like horn arrangements and, and you know, traditional theory and, and stuff like that, like that I could plunk out stuff on a piano, you know. And my first percussion instrument actually was marimba even before I went on to timpani and concert snare drum and drum set and later on in hand percussion. So I started out with a keyboard instrument background. So, so definitely, definitely it, it is come into play for sure. Like throughout my career. Gotcha. So, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, so you're in music school, you're younger and, and you're still in Fresno at this point. So I was in Fresno from basically a year old, through sixth grade okay then my father got transferred to hong kong um basically the 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 japanese company worked for shut down their operation rather than move our family back to japan um we uh he switched to a u.s competitor the u.s competitor uh cotton company they transfer our family overseas to asia and so he was in charge he was put in charge of the pacific rim so hong kong was a central location where he would travel to Pakistan, Russia, Australia, all over the, you know, Asia. So I went to Hong Kong International School um, wow. for seventh, eighth, ninth, and 10th grade. I think when we moved there, we knew we were only going to be there for four years. So um, I did all of junior high, half of high school. Then we moved back to Fresno of all places <laughs> after four years of Hong Kong. And I finished high school and then I went to Berkeley College of Music. So, but when I moved back to Fresno was when, um, have a really great school of the arts there for high school. And so I entered that in my latter two years of high school. And that's when I started learning hand percussion. The school had a salsa band and oh, studio recording class and orchestra and, and a jazz band and a small jazz combo. So by the great thing about going to Hong Kong International School, academically, I was so far ahead of U.S. public school that by the time like by my senior year, I had already finished pretty much any academic class I needed to graduate. So like wow. my entire senior senior year was like uh, salsa band period one, second period was like jazz band, third period was like studio recording. Like I had like wow. maybe two academic classes <laughs> and the rest was all music classes, orchestra. Yeah. So, now, did so you yeah. Yeah. Amazing that you had that flexibility. Um, yeah. Did, were, what What was the community like? I mean, how you know were were you hanging with friends there that in that, Fresno? Yeah, that are also playing. And... Oh yeah, yeah. So especially like in those last two years of high school, I mean, there are some burning players. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so definitely like it's funny. Even um, I went out last night uh, in Hollywood to to uh, El Floridito, which is a uh, Cuban restaurant every Monday nights they got they have a burn and salsa band. And I was like, the first time I came here was actually with high school friends. We drove down from Fresno. We did like a four hour drive down on a Monday night just to go watch the band play. And I was like, I must have been like 16 years old. Like we had to stand outside the club until like the band played and we were allowed to sit step inside just to watch the band and then and then get out because of course, you know, underage. Like, yeah. Yeah, underage. So I was just like, wow, you know, we were really doing it like you know, even at age 16, like there's, there's a lot of burning players that are still playing to this day that went to that school. So, wow. Amazing. Yeah. 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 So yeah. 
there's been uh, quite a bit of conversation. I'm learning so much this year uh, around percussion. Uh, okay. And I think there's <laughs> there's this Western uh, Western concept of uh, drumming and percussion is just sort of uh, you know free form, something you just feel. Uh, and I and I think we miss uh, the full breadth of what's really mm-hmm. going on uh, as far as compositionally uh, and also history. So I, I I noticed in in your bio that you've 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 studied with uh, I mean <clears throat> I'm I'm looking here to get myself caught up, but there's a name that I missed. Um, you mentioned Jamie Haddad. Yeah. Uh, Alan Dawson. Yeah. Giovanni Hidalgo. And also yeah. you mentioned studying in Cuba. Oh, with Changuito. Changuito. There it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. So it was what, like, yeah, it was, that was amazing. You know, getting to study with like master percussionists, master musicians is, is like, it's great. Like in some ways you have to take everything they teach with a grain of salt because like they are the source of like, they are known for doing their thing, you know? Uh, so you have to kind of, uh, you obviously have to have reverence for what they've brought forth into the world artistically and technically. And so it's like, you know, as a student, I like, I felt like I owed it as a student of theirs, whether it was for four years long or just a month, like in, in Cuba with Changuito to like, learn it the way they do it, you know, not, right. not go on going, well, I learned it this way and I'll take what you, you know, like, no, you have to like do it the way they say it. And then, then, then after you leave, then you can figure out what works for you and what doesn't, but Interesting. yeah. So, yeah. So, so that, but it that was def- yeah, go ahead. Sorry. In that way, I mean, it, re- it really is passed down from person to person over many yes. generations. Oh, oh definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And guys like Changuito, I mean, they're like, you know, he's an originator in terms of like um, the band that he played with Los Van Van that, they, you know, they were kind of the, the originators of the Songo in, and all, all the modern Cuban slash, you know, Afro-Cuban Latin jazz rhythms, you know, and, and Changuito was the person that really incorporated drum set into you know afro-cuban music you know and the whole notion of like a timbali player playing with a kick drum and a snare drum and stuff and that that's that's all him you know so so yeah it was very cool um i i definitely i don't even know like how looking back like how the heck did i even like get in touch with him like i got to cuba and i'll just kind of like let it be known that i was looking for him and then through the grapevine, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, he'll, he'll see you on this such and such a day. And then I had to figure out how to get there. Thankfully, I met a guy who was just like, yeah, he just wanted to hang out and be my interpreter. Didn't want any money. He just wanted to hang out. So I'm like, all right. So we wow. would uh, essentially hitchhike <laughs> to, to Changuito's house because, you know, the, the taxis, especially then in Havana, was like a private car. You would just flag somebody down. You just hop in, you know. And you go as far as they'll take you. Are you telling them where you're, you're hitchhiking basically? And then you slip them whatever money you got or, you know, it was, it was very interesting. Like I was like, looking back, I'm like, I don't even know how the heck I did that. It's the analog <laughs> so, Uber. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. just wave them down and take them. And you stayed, yeah. for, you stayed for a month. Is it? I stayed for a month. Yeah. Wow. I actually went there through the U S treasury department to study through uh, like an African Cuban drum and dance 
course that was at the National School of the Arts in, in Havana. So I studied with other people. I studied percussion with this guy, Roberto Vizcaino. And so he was kind of my teacher through the program. And he, he's an amazing percussionist. He he was the percussionist when Horacio Hernandez was the drummer for uh, Gonzalo Rubacaba, the, the, the pianist. Wow. So, um, and he plays percussion with Chucho Valdez and a bunch of people. So, so I studied with him and Changuito over that month. Yeah. So amazing. That was, that was amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. So yeah, my thing is just try to study with as many masters as possible and yeah. uh, in, in, in their thing. And then that'll enhance what, whatever you do. You know? Are there other ways that you learn about the history of the instrument? It's, it feels like there's a very heavy historical component to everything around percussion and drums. Uh, oh, definitely. Like you said, there's an oral tradition, but then, and then, you know, but yeah, I feel like the drum itself, whatever drum that may be, whether it's a djembe or tabla or whatever, you know, you owe it to the instrument to, to, to learn as much as you can about it. Because like a lot of these traditions are like centuries old, you know? And um, so that there are two things that I kind of, as, as a, world percussions that that i've gotten ingrained in me one is that like you owe it to the instrument and to the tradition to learn it as best you can uh in reverence for it and two is that like any of this commercial music or or any non-sacred music that we're playing is like it's not that deep when you think about it when you're thinking about these drums and these musical traditions were used for like you know rites of passage <laughs> and, right. and crops and 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 coming of age of, of men and women and whatnot. It's just like, at the end of the day, then when you, when you were learning like rhythms and music that are like meant that's that much to a society that then, you know, then all of a sudden like playing quote unquote pop music or, or, you know, non uh, or secular music is not, is not that, right. that deep. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so. secular in a couple of ways. I mean, there's secular meaning just not in the church, but also secular is not really of, of pure folk tradition. It's popular, yeah. right? I was at, yeah, that's popular. what I like. How, what are you thinking about on stage when you're touring with like a Fleetwood Mac or a John Mayer and like comparing these yeah. two things, like they seem to be at odds and yet there you are right in the middle well, especially playing the instruments I'm playing. So like technically, like if I'm I'm on stage with Fleetwood Mac and I'm playing like a conga pattern, like loosely based on an Afro-Cuban groove, you know, it's like I'm just kind of using what I've learned in the tradition and making it kind of fit, you know. So mm -hmm. it, it's it is interesting, you know, uh, it's like it was just like, wow, OK, I never thought that I could make a living doing that. That's for right. sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> how how do they how do those decisions get made? I mean, uh, you know, I I haven't I haven't been out to any kind of large scale popular music for qu quite some time, so it was a little bit of a surprise to me to find that y you know you're performing with a lot of these popular acts. Um, in the '70s, that you know, uh, Fleetwood Mac and they they didn't have uh, re really most bands didn't have a percussionist. I mean, yeah. Stephen Winwood would bring it in, uh, you know, a few others. But now it seems like everybody's doing that. And what what do you think the draw is there in the in the reasoning? Well, especially with like classic rock acts. I mean, if I I looked actually, I was surprised to see I, on YouTube there is a um, video of 
Fleetwood Mac on their Rumors tour 1979 live in Japan or something, and they do a version of Oh Well. And there's a whole like main section where Mick like stops, puts the sticks down, and he starts playing congas. And I was like, I had no idea he had congas in his in his drum set, you know. And so I was like, oh wow. So I think that kind of like 60s and 70s there was kind of a, um, you know, the whole beatnik bongo. They brought, they brought it into the, the popular. They, they brought yeah, so they brought it kind of in, into popular music, and then fast forward to the like eighties, then that's when you had like drum machines. So mm-hmm. then, obviously, you had hand claps and little like eight hundred eight clave sounds and, and little eight hundred eight tom sounds that could be that kind of sound like congas and bongos. So when I'm playing with acts like with repertoire or you know songs that are kind of eighties and beyond, there's always a way I can kind of fit my way in. So mm. you know by by emulating some of the stuff. So I want to give but, uh, War some credit in the seventies. Oh yeah, for oh yeah, bringing that into popular thing. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, definitely. Knowledge. There's there's a lot of like kind of rock bands or like Latin rock bands, you know, like uh, that that have that that had live percussion. You mm. know, um, was, and then obviously there's there's funk groups that that incorporated a lot of percussion to the recordings as well as on stage sometimes. So. I want yeah. to revisit the different traditions because I, you've also mentioned India in here, but I, but I want to hold that off for the segue here because you say, okay. you say funk groups, um, your record, uh, blue York is out on October 1st. Um, yep. and it's interesting. Um, you know, see, seeing your amazing career and seeing the precision and polish that you can perform with in a lot of these settings. Uh, mm-hmm. My first reaction to Blue York is this is just downright, it's past funky. It's swampy. Oh, like thank some, you. some of these tracks, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's like, it, it's like you're looking at this beautiful person and then there's the heartbeat like like you you get right yeah. into the guts of it and that, that's yeah. just that's just amazing can you set the stage on how this uh how this album came about well initially the album came about because um adrian harpham and i are we're, we're dear friends adrian who modern icon recordings, modern right? icon mm-hmm. recordings and so we went to berkeley college of music together and so we we're both in New York and, and we went out for coffee and like he and I kind of lost touch after college. Then he moved to LA for a while and we got back in touch and then he has ties to New Orleans. I have ties to New Orleans. So a couple of times we met up in New Orleans and then, so then fast forward, I'm in New York and um, yeah, we went out for coffee and it was just a conversation about, man, you know, we've all gone in diverging careers and styles of music, but what was so fun was just like, us getting together and playing each other's recitals and all that music that we played, you know, just killing stuff like seventies miles, electric band, Herbie Hancock, Headhunters, um, material, uh, mm-hmm. George Duke, Billy Cobham, you know, that whole era is like stuff I absolutely love. I was like, we should book some gigs and just do that stuff just for fun. Nice. He's, and he said, well, a, a classmate of ours, Bruce flowers, keyboardist, mm-hmm. cause I, Bruce had taken like, uh, decade plus hiatus from music altogether but you know he but he um he was in marcus miller's band david sanborn's band Mm -hmm. he was he was uh betty carter's last pianist before she passed away so 
he's accomplished jazz player. Adrian went kind of into like funk and indie rock and production. I went more like pop rock R&B. So it was like, well, that'd be really cool if the three of us got together and just played all the stuff that we played at Berkeley back in the day when, nice. you know, and just like let it loose. So that's what, that's how it started. And, you know, with their kind of, um, I won't say permission, but, but basically like I spearheaded it and said, well, if I book everything, like, you know, would you guys be down and say, yeah, we'll make it a Taku Hirano project. Did that they they filled out the rest of the band with with guys New York guys that they they worked with and it just became a thing you know and then uh, I started booking gigs and and um, and uh, yeah we we just played around New York mainly at New Blue uh, venue in Lower East Side mm-hmm. and uh, would book gigs whenever I was had tour breaks from Fleetwood Mac got it and we would just go for it and then we we ended up recording. And, um, <clears throat> once the, uh, pandemic hit, I was, you know, Adrian and I are like, let's kind of like go through all the material that we have and see if we can put something together. And, and we were like, there wasn't a whole lot of mixing and in, in, involved, like the stuff sounded great. No need, no need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was, if, if anything, it just was like trying to find the right stuff and editing down, you know dead spaces and whatnot to make it kind of really nice tight package but yeah it was all there so so that's 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 what it was you know that searing guitar on uh crawling king snake uh, is it oh that was um marvin sewell marvin. and he's that's his that's him singing as well oh well yeah. yeah 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 and that was totally impromptu it was like you know i was like oh we need to fill something here and adrian was like oh marvin we've had marvin in on some other gigs you know that we've done like he just does let him just do his blues thing we're like okay and really that was refreshing. it, it was, yeah, it was super impromptu, you yeah. know, and I was like, oh, that has to make the album just because it's just like so a departure. You know? I had one of those moments where, I, you know, I put the music on this morning and, I, and I'm and I'm at my desk and I'm listening and then I kind of get up and walk in the other room to grab something and I'm not thinking about the music. And then I hear that guitar and I just like drop whatever yeah. it is, run back <laughs> in. <laughs> oh, what's happening here right now? Really, really, yeah. really great moment. Um, yeah, it was a magical moment live and I was just kind of like did we capture it, you know, and, and, did, and is it as good as I, as I remembered it to be? And it was, so yeah, it was great. Nice. Yeah. So I just want to touch back on, on, uh, sources of, uh, worldly, uh, wisdom and tradition of percussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I saw, there's so much here, Taku. I love it. I mean, what <laughs> you should write a book. This, this is the, this, I mean, Annie Lennox, Steven Tyler, Miley Cyrus. I mean, it just on and on. Um, but there's a moment here where you are involved with India, right? Yes, I toured with A.R. Rahman, yeah. um, who is the Oscar and Grammy and BAFTA winning film composer. He's basically kind of the father of Bollywood 
music. Really? And uh, yeah, yeah, he's I like didn't one know of the most. Him as that. Uh, oh yeah, he's like one of the most celebrated Bollywood composers. Interesting. There is. He's yeah, amazing composer. I know him but from. He, he, sorry to interrupt, but I know I know him from a uh, you know an album that slipped into my uh, world. I don't even know how. Uh, called "Songs of the Asian Underground." Oh, okay. I totally know that and one. And there's a yeah. track or two of his on there. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. To... And I think that on that album, it was probably taken from one of his soundtracks, like that he did for a film. Got it. Yeah. And then, so he's really revered throughout India. Um, but he came, you know, the world really got to know him because of Slumdog Millionaire. Ah. You know, so that's what he won the Oscar for. Um, and as you, well as and you for were the on score that? and the soundtrack. Are you on the score I'm, or you just you just toured it after? I'm not I'm not on it. Yeah, I toured it. I didn't meet him until after the movie came out and then all of a sudden there's like this worldwide interest for him. Mm-hmm. And um through the grapevine, actually through a friend, Carmen Rizzo had some kind of contact with him. He and I know each other, and so he's like, AR is looking for a taiko player. Do you you're Japanese? Do you play taiko drums? I don't want to be presumptuous. I was like, actually, I do. I studied in Japan a little bit and can't profess to be like, you know, that's my thing, but I can right. do what whatever he needs. And so that turned into a bunch of like TV performances and and um performance at the White House for wow. the, the first state dinner, the Obama administration's first state dinner. Uh, where they um, had the Prime Minister of India over. Um, wow. And then we did a world tour the following year. And so, yeah, we toured all over the uh, US, Canada, UK, Singapore, South Africa. So we were all over the place. So, so it was great. So he picked you in a sense because of the Jap- because of your understanding of a Japanese uh, percussion instrument. But um, had you already had some sense of Indian percussion? Yes. Since college, I actually, you mentioned Jamie Haddad mm-hmm. and I studied yeah. kind of Middle Eastern slash North African frame drumming with him as well as like Indian percussion and, and rhythmic concepts with him. So I studied that for three or four years with Jamie. And then I moved that at Berkeley College of Music. Then I moved to LA and started grad graduate school at Cal Arts, California Institute of the Arts. And I was studying um, Indian percussion there for a world music graduate program. How so did, yeah, how did your education stack up when you got you know on the tour with that band? I mean, because I assume there were like some. Oh, there's like heavy. So it was like half the band was from the states, from LA, and then half the band was from India. Hmm. Um, so they had like an Indian percussionist playing tabla. Um, for me, it was a blast because we had the tabla player who was like a master player that I got to hang out with and check out yeah. and learn from him. And then I had like the most massive percussion rig I've ever had because I covered every other thing that was on any of his scores. So I was playing like pop percussion, like congas, timbales, electronic percussion. I was covering uh, kind of more classical um, instruments, um, you know, triangle shakers, blah, blah, blah. And then also like Middle Eastern stuff, doombecks, mm. um, Brazilian instruments, surdos, and was you know all the big drums and stuff like that. So yeah, I was like I, I was my my rig encompassed like a, a whole world percussion you know sound palette. So Amazing! It was a it was a blast. It was an absolute blast. Yep. Just about uh, two weeks ago, I uh, was chatting with Weedy Brema, and uh, 
you know, I, I, I did the, uh, the unthinkable, uh, and assumed that these, any, any drum album or percussion based or originated album, um, it must've been all improvisation. <laughs> and he quickly corrected me. Um, but I bring it up again, not just to make a fool out of myself, but to, to, <laughs> okay. to, to say that, you know, if I thought that, then I'd bet quite a few people do. So can you explain how, you know, how a composition gets to you and charts and, and then how you perform it just for the, for the person who just doesn't know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that my, my standpoint is going to be quite different from Wheaties in that Wheatie is so ingrained in, in such a great tradition, especially him being a Jim Bipola. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, most of my bread and butter has been as a studio percussionist and sideman. So my job was to learn as many different instruments as possible for the sake of an artist or a composer realizing their vision. So in that sense, like, depending on the situation um there may be situations where i am playing things specifically that are needed meaning that it's written out for me and this instrument here this instrument there okay. and then there's other situations where i'm backing up like stevie nicks on her tour or whatever and other than like okay on the album i definitely hear a tambourine and this and that the other then other than that i just need to fill out the sound and make it sound good or situations where like i'm on tour with john mayer and like there's no percussion on the song i'm got to figure out what he wants you know mm -hmm. um so and then also in situations more like hip-hop stuff where um if i'm in the studio with dr dre like kind of guessing what would mesh well with all his program stuff mm -hmm. and then also playing live where like the album is already done that we have to recreate stuff for a TV show, whether I'm hitting mm. samples, electronic samples, or I'm trying to recreate something similar acoustically. So, you know, it, it runs the gamut for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, but in terms of improvisation, like back to my album, Blue York, that's coming from more of a jazz, you know, background, definitely. Okay. So it's no different than if I were the drummer in a fusion band. You know, so okay. yes, you're, 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 you're playing the music, but, um, it's not going to be the same every night either. I'm not, I'm not sticking to like any kind of tradition or any kind of specific rhythms or whatnot. So in that sense, like it's more of a jazz approach. So there is a little more improvisation on my part in Got terms it. of my choices. Yeah. Got it. Especially because <laughs> yeah. it's live, right? Yeah. Um, Especially because mm -hmm, it's live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think if in the studio, I think much more compositionally for sure. You know, if I were to do it. I, when I do a studio album, um, yeah, I, I will definitely be have things a little more not charted out, but but in my mind, like what I what beats I want to a little more structure figuratively and literally, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'm sure you have had plenty of interviews where folks have asked about your the famous family that you are connected to, uh, and um, I, I just want to at least touch on it. Um, of course. Um, you have married into the Neville family. Uh, Arthel Neville is your wife, uh, or you uh -huh. are her husband. Uh, yes. Both of these are true, <laughs> uh, to be balanced yeah. and fair. Um, that's another new tradition 
and lineage and heritage that you've learned. And I wonder um, if you could, you know, talk about the the benefits, the value of that. New Orleans has always held a special place in my heart, even before I met Arthel. And the fact that we actually met in New Orleans, she wasn't living in New Orleans at the time. She's in broadcasting. She had been at that time when we met, she was living in New York. And I was on tour with Isaac Hayes. We were playing um, during the uh, New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, uh, a night concert in, in the city um, in conjunction ah, with the festival. Right, right. And she was a, and she was a she was there uh, with a bunch of her family and her uncle, one of the Neville brothers, her uncle Cyril, uh, the a vocalist and but the percussionist of the Neville brothers mm-hmm. uh, was the MC of that event. So mm-hmm. right off the bat, it was like. I was even nervous that like I was playing in front of Cyril Neville and the fact that like, like I met my future wife, his, his niece amazing. was, was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, but fast forward. Yes. Um, it's been just obviously an honor and, and just quite just, uh, I couldn't have imagined it, you know, that I would, I would marry into such a storied musical legacy, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, my father-in-law, Art Neville, you know, he founded the meters and just like, just to even, um, it just blows my mind. Just like the, the mark that he left, you know, yep. musically, like, you know, on, on the history of just funk and rock and whatnot, you know, just, it's, it's just amazing. It absolutely is amazing. So, for, so in, in that, in the sense of like me being a student, and how I've approached, you know, Cuban music and, and Japanese music and Brazilian music and Af- it, it, in terms of feeling that you owe it, you owe reverence to, to mm. the origins of, of a style as well as the instruments. Um, you know, I made it like a definite project for me just to really get to know New Orleans music. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, uh, definitely a, a personal journey of mine, for sure. You know, yeah, just so. even this, like, checking out tambourine techniques, you know, and when I was touring with Dr. John, that, like, Herlin Riley's on drums, so we could, like, actually, like, trade tambourine techniques and stuff like that, or having become friends with Stanton Moore, like, just, like, you know, him drumming me playing tambourine and checking out Monte Gras Indian stuff. It's just, like, yeah, it's really, I tried to, like, really ingrain myself and, and become a student, you know, just yeah. in order to honor it. It's yeah. such a beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Jersey in the 70s and, and Dr. John was the breakthrough like that. Yeah. Was, that was it. And I mean, I've seen the man perform so many times uh, yeah. and, and just just that alone. Forget the tradition, the history, all the everything before that. Just the yeah. time that I spent watching him perform. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm grateful for. Uh, yeah. And, and the same Dr. John. I, I, I'm so, I feel definitely blessed. I was in Dr. John's last band before he mm. passed away, you know, so I was with him in his last couple of years. And, mm. um, and just to be able to do that gig was just like, that was definitely like, I would have to say one of the highlights of my career, just because, just because you get to play that music with that man, you know, mm. on stage, you know, it's just, I used to say merely one of the coolest human beings alive or yeah. uh, you know that 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 I saw alive yeah um yep. 
Well, Blue York is coming out on October 1st. Um, I want to give you a moment if you if there's anything else that you want to say about the album and Modern Icon Recordings uh, before we before yes. we finish up. Well, first of all, big thanks to Modern, Adrian Harpham and Modern Icon. Um, I'm just so blessed to have that as an outlet and and that we were just able to um, cull the material and produce it together and basically just like go through and mix it you know it, it was definitely therapeutic during the pandemic to be able to to mm. work on a project that that was such a, a passion project for me and um when we were doing those live shows in new york i had so many people especially on the west coast like are you going to bring it to the, are you going to bring it to la or or the bay area how can i see it did you videotape it is it you know and it's like now one of the things was just really making sure that the album was mixed in such a way that like you feel like you were there mm -hmm. you know watching the show and and when you hear you I, for those of you out there who haven't heard it yet many of you um that's that's what i wanted was just kind of like to create a vibe like you really feel like you're in new york at the club seeing this and really you know it kind of permeates you mm -hmm. so um so yeah so that was kind of the goal and uh and so i i hope and I feel confident that we captured that. So. I, I'll say a hundred percent. I mean, it, it, it's, yeah. you know, there's a feeling to downtown New York. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah. it's in there. It's yeah. really in there. Yeah. And it's, I called well, one blue York I call is, I call it blue York initially because the club that we recorded, we, we recorded it at was new blue. Yeah. And, um, but it was also kind of a play on just like, you know, the the kind of sentiment and mood of new york at the time during covid you know mm. when we when we gathered all the material and and mixed it and whatnot that's why the album cover is actually a a photo of manhattan completely empty you know and uh. i um i did i i love like doing photo editing myself so i just kind of put a bit of a blue mm. blue um filter on it you know, just to capture the mood a bit better, but you know, it is an actual photo of just like an empty sixth Avenue. Like, you know, it, it's pretty eerie. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so it's kind of a send off. It's, it's, a, it's a stamp in time, but it's also a send off to all the musicians and artists in New York city that, you know, it's, it's a tough town to, to be an artist and even tougher over the last two years. So yeah. it's kind of an, it's an, it's an ode to New York as well. So. Beautiful. I yeah. can't wait till we have that pulse back, the lifeblood, uh, the musicians out there performing. Yeah. And I know that when the, you know, when things loosen up, um, and people hear this record that your, your people are <laughs> going to want you to come to their town. And, and, and what I look forward to in addition to just seeing you guys live is also, capturing with cameras more material that can then be spread around the world yes. because um, I, that's, that's I where we are. That. Yeah. yeah, no, I definitely love that. And, you know, um, even like I have friends both in London as well as in Japan that are just so interested in the project. I'm like, God, I, w I wish I could like bring it to London. I wish I could bring it to Tokyo and Osaka, you know, cause, cause they're, they're interested, but it's just like, you know, just the logistics right now of, of yeah, it's like, grab, grab, grabbing the yet. guys and yeah, <laughs> yeah and grabbing the guys yet. and go, going to play Ronnie Scott's or grabbing the guys and going to play, uh, you know, in Tokyo or something like that. It's going to be, you know, it's like, uh, you know, just waiting soon. Just waiting. soon. Yeah. 
Taku yeah. Hirano, thank you so much for the great music, thank you. for the energy, for your uh, perseverance and, and study and hard work and and <laughs> and, and just perfection in, in the process of your career and then bringing, bringing this wonderful record to us and to the world. Thank you. Thank you.